Hi everybody, it's Tony Robbins. I'm really excited today to share with you a dear friend of mine and a man who's been a business partner of mine in the past, a gentleman who was the co-author of a book many of you have already read called Unshakable. But we've put together a new book together and we're really excited about it, especially for these times. And it's called The Path. The subtitle is Accelerating Your Journey to Financial Freedom. And couldn't be a better time to be talking about that than right now. And so many people are in fear and so many people think this will be the worst time to invest. And I think this interview is going to be really eye-opening to you because it's not going to be based on opinion. It's going to be based on facts, based on trends that have gone on for literally centuries in the marketplace. And uh, Peter's the guy to talk to you. And I'll tell you why. He's a dear friend, yes, but... He's also one of the people I respect most in this marketplace. And the reason is, you can take my word, screw my word, take a look at how he's performed at the highest levels. Uh, you know, Barron's has named him, first of all, he's built creative planning into a $50 billion company, pretty amazing, and done it in a very short period of time. But Barron's has named him the number one top 100 independent advisor in America three years in a row. Uh, I want to make sure I get this right. CNBC has picked him as the top wealth management firm two years in a row. But what's unique about Peter is he's the only one actively giving advice on that list right now. So pretty amazing and great accolades, but those accolades are earned. So I've had the privilege of knowing Peter for almost seven years now and working with him and learning from him and extracting information as much as I could from him and applying it and trying to share that with all the people that follow my work who are truly interested in not only just financial security, but ultimately really true financial freedom or independence. And uh, Peter has decided to put this new book together and approached me on it. And it really helps you kind of pull the curtain back on what's really happening in the marketplace and show you. You know, we wrote Unshakable knowing that we're, this was coming. We didn't know it was, uh, you know, going to be a, a pandemic, that's for sure. But we knew the markets were going to take a hit. We kept talking about it. Winter's coming. And the book was designed to make you unshakable during that time. Well, now that we're here, we want to give you a step-by-step -step plan, a kind of a path to get from where you are to where you want to be and show you how during maximum pessimism is the greatest opportunity. So that's a big intro, but let me welcome now my dear friend, Peter Malouk. Give him a hand, everybody, as you're seeing him. Peter, great to see you. It's good to be with you, Tony. Tell me, man, um, let's start, if we would, go back a step, because not everybody knows your background. Share with us a little bit about what really got you into investing. How did you come about building creative planning? And you know, what, are the, what were the insights or principles that you used to really grow that business? Because I jumped on board with you because I saw the kind of impact you're having. So share with us a little bit of that background, if you would. You know, I know when you wrote Money Master the Game, you kind of backdoored your way into the industry by learning really what was wrong and getting upset about it, and then going and researching it and talking to Ray Dalio and Charles Schwab and John Bogle, and then figuring out what could you share uh, with your followers and mine was similar. It wasn't so much I had an idea on how to do something, it was more I was witnessing all the things that I saw were a problem. I was in a state and a, and a tax attorney and I would give advice to other advisors' clients and I really got a feel for how advice is delivered and there are a lot of good advisors out there but there are a lot that aren't good and are very conflicted with their clients and really salesmen in disguise and so I really wanted to have a firm that had an independent, was totally independent, didn't have its own investment products to sell, didn't didn't even have products that they were getting kickbacks or revenue sharing on when it came to investing. You just, someone is paying you for investment advice, they should get investment advice and not be sold investment products. And I also know that, as you know, that a big part of this is getting tax and legal issues right. It doesn't matter if you're in one or 2% more and pay 10% more in taxes. And so really having all of that put together was the impetus of, you know, getting going with creative planning. You built it. Uh into an incredible momentum now in terms of impact. 
uh, one thing that pulled me to you is for people to understand is you kind of created almost like a family office for those not familiar with it. Family office, you have all these experts together. The problem today is you go to somebody for advice on how to invest, then you got to go talk to your tax attorney, then you got to take a look at what's going on with your mortgages. And so people that are super wealthy have these family offices with all these experts. And the thing that you did is you put together a team for everybody. And I, one of the things I want you to know about Peter is, you know, he's certainly a successful businessman, but he has an incredible heart. And I went to him and I said, listen, if, if I'm going to do this with you, I want you to do this for people that have like $100,000. And to your credit, Peter, you built that and you've helped so many people would never have access to your type of advice. But explain people, what does that mean, family office? And what is it that you're really trying to deliver for people? You and I both know that most people are overcharged and 1% more in fees than you need to pay will cost you a decade of retirement income over the long term because of compounding. But what, what really is the thesis behind it? You, you started to touch on it, but what do you really deliver for people? You basically, instead of just saying, hey, this is your risk tolerance, we're gonna put you in this model portfolio, or this is your age, you're gonna get these investments. We really said, look, what are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals? I like to say goals are another word for dreams. Like, what are, we, what are you dreaming of? Doing charitable things, leaving your kids a bunch of money, spending a certain amount of mo money in retirement. You like your job, but you just want the freedom of being able to walk away if you want to. Let's, let's, not, let's define those and let's prioritize those. And then let's look at where you stand today and what are the investments that, that create the highest probability of making that outcome happen? Those are the things that we wanna own. And it doesn't have anything to do with your age. And it has very little to do with your risk tolerance. It really has to start from what you're trying to do and it makes everything you're doing more purposeful. So now we have an investment plan, but then we wanna do it in an incredibly tax sensitive way. We don't wanna pay fees where we don't need to. We don't wanna pay commissions ever. Uh, very rarely should we ever have to encounter that and definitely never to a financial advisor. And we also don't wanna lose everything in an incapacity or a death. So having all those components really allows somebody to not just have the money pointed in the right direction, but have the whole framework of everything you can do to grow and preserve and transfer your wealth in place. These are all pieces to the same puzzle. They really have to be talking to each other. Before people be in a world where they're always the general contractor on anything they ever built. They had to go get the drywall person and the plumber and the electrician. Well, the general contractor can get you know screwed over quite a bit in that setup unless they really know what they're doing. And so we really have this ability to sit with the client and be alongside them as they, we put all those pieces together. Yeah, and, and every client, I see you do that with families together, which is one of the other things that <laughs> happens the conflict in families. You have two people who love each other, but a lot of those conflicts, because they have one's more security driven, one's more growth driven. And I've watched you guys, and not just yourself, I mean, you've built an unbelievable team, really navigate that with people so they can have some certainty, which brings up the big question, why this book now? I mean, there's so much uncertainty out there. There's so much fear. I mean, fear is the real virus now. Obviously, there's a virus out there, but it's the virus is a lot smaller than the fear that it's devastating families and emotions and economics and businesses. So why, why did you come in? Why did you want to do this book at this time? You know, when we did Unshakable, it was really all about investing and preparing for a bear market. And like you said, we didn't know what the bear market was going to be, but we knew it was going to come. And I mean, the, the book couldn't have been you know better timed, really, having Unshakable come out. But it's only really a piece of what we're doing, and it's only a piece of wealth management. Even if you understand markets and you understand how to invest, you still need to understand, well, what investments make sense for you? And what are the legal and tax implications? So the path is really about all wealth management. So whether somebody's a centimillionaire or somebody has $100,000 or $50,000 or any amount, it really walks through step by step. How do you define your goals? 
How do you measure your success? How much do you have to set aside to make it work? What tax strategies are there? What legal strategies are there? How do we not lose everything because your insurance isn't right? And it just goes chapter by chapter walking you through how to get your house in order and really put that extra push into things to propel you towards your goal. And it also has a lot to do with what money is about. So even if you've got all the planning right and the wealth management right, which is what's new to this book, it also touches on money serves a purpose and to really enjoy life and how money fits into that. And we talk a lot about that, including the chapters that, that you covered in the book. Yeah. Well, tell me, you know, uh, you navigated, one of the reasons that you and I got together uh, was because I just saw the way you navigated 2008, 2009. It was the last great recession, as we all recall. It's a pretty painful time for most. And yet you grew geometrically. What similarities do you see today to that time? What's similar, what's different? And what helped you to be successful to help your clients during that time? You know, Paul Volcker, who was the federal, the, the Fed chair a long time ago, he's got this famous saying, he says, about every 10 years, we have the crisis of a lifetime. And basically, 08 was the last one, and COVID has been the most recent one. So what they have in common is both times something comes out of nowhere and really jolts the markets. And before that, there was 9-11, and before that, there was the tech bubble. And when you have uncertainty, people don't know what's going to happen. They panic and they go to cash. But as we know, and we wrote about it on Shakeable, and I write about very extensively in the path, the market turns very, very quickly when some, even just some of the cloud is lifted. It looks forward. And in 0809, we took advantage of a lot of tax trading. We did a lot of buying when it was down. We did the same thing this year. In March, we were tax harvesting for clients. We were buying more equities for clients. And so when we got towards the end of March and the recovery happened very, very quickly. I mean, most of the losses in some markets were erased within weeks. Um, we had already purchased more of those securities before that turn. And so really just having the resolve understanding and believing over the long run in the economy and the markets, and then having the resolve to go the opposite direction of everybody else at that time and take advantage of the tax uh, implications too, really can put you in an advantage. And I walk through a lot of that in the book, and it's something we do at Creative Planning and that we did you know, through March and April as well this year. Let's talk about the, the obvious mistake that, <laughs> that so many people make. Uh, it happens all the time. It's based on human psychology and emotion, and that's people trying to time the market. You know, I remember interviewing Warren Buffett, and he said it, didn't just say it to me, he said it a million times, but he's got that famous phrase, I forget how he language it with me, but the essence of it was, the only reason that we have market timers is to make fortune tellers look good, right? So, and there are all these people, as you and I both know, that they're always talking about the, in the, the chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and you know, even a you know, stop clock is right twice a day type of thing, right? So tell us, what's, the, what's wrong with the idea of market timing? And how does that, um, you know, the worst day of investing and the best day of investing, how do they compare? Like if you entered the market on the worst day versus the best day, because I know you and I both know there have been studies done on it and they're, they're counterintuitive to what almost anybody believes. Most people think you get on the worst day, you get on at the peak and then it drops through the floor, you're done forever, right? Or if you got it at the bottom, man, you're guaranteed success. But you and I both know it's a very small difference. But tell us what's wrong with market timing and what are the distinctions between best time and worst time so that people hopefully can rid themselves of that burden to destroy so much potential wealth in the world? Yeah, it's the number one wealth destructor. You know, number two is overbetting in one, one sector that doesn't work out. But the number one is just people doing themselves in with market timing. And whenever you bump into somebody and they say, oh, because of coronavirus, with my investments, I lost everything, or with 9-11 or the tech bubble or 0809, that means they either left the market at the bottom or overweighted to a sector that did poorly, or their advisor did that for them. And sadly, that's what a lot of people do. 
And what's dangerous about that is like we talked about, the market turns very, very fast. Even if we look at March, six of the best days of this entire year happened in March. So if you exit and you miss out just a week or two, you may never get that back. So if you're the worst investor in the world and you invested the day before uh, 08, 09, or 9, 11, or the tech bubble, what's happened since then? You either doubled or tripled or quadrupled your money. That's what's happened. Picking the worst possible days. So I think even if you were a super unlucky investor and you bought the day before coronavirus uh, really started to drive the markets down, the odds are very, very great. If we look forward, you're still gonna double your money as long as you've got the resolve. You don't miss those, those quick upswing days. Yeah, uh, JP Morgan actually did a study, I, I pulled it out here. Over 20 years, the S&P 500 averaged 8.2% compounded. But here's what's crazy, guys. If you miss just the top 10 trading days, it went down to 4.5%. That was your total return, it cut it in half. If you missed 20 days out of 20 years, 20 of the top trading days, because you thought you knew when the bottom or the top was gonna happen, you ended up with 2.1%. You might as well have had something in a bond of some sort without the risk. And then 30 missing, if you missed 30 days in 20 years, the 30 top trading days, you made zero money. Just being out 30 days in 20 years. I mean, it's impossible. But here's the craziest thing, and you just demonstrated it. Six out of the 10 best days, in the market over the last 20 years occurred within two weeks of the 10 worst days. Maybe you can give people some insight as to why is it really like if a Ferrari that was for $400,000 was on sale for 150, you know, most people go, that's incredible. But when a stock goes on sale because of fear, people run away. Tell us a little bit about that psychology and how can we combat it? Well, I think there's this myth that the market's like a casino and it goes up and down. And so people try to avoid the down part and get in for the up part, but it's not like a casino at all. You know, if you go to a casino, every single game, as this great chart from Bloomberg shows, every single game uh, has losing odds. Your odds, the longer you play, the, like, the more likely you are to lose. But in the market, no matter when you go in, your odds are gonna be positive a year later, about 75%. Uh, over five years, it's about 89%. Over 15 years, it's almost 100%. So it's the opposite of a casino. With the market, you are the casino. You are the one that the longer you play, the more likely the odds are in your favor. And you just have to kind of get out of your mind that it goes up and down. That's not what it's like at all. So I try to explain to, to clients when they're concerned about it. Um, if you really think about, say, a candy bar or a can of Coke or going to a restaurant, during coronavirus, some of those things might be on sale because they're having a hard time selling them, and so they're encouraging people to come to restaurants or buy drinks or whatever. But we intuitively know that's not what, they're not, prices are not gonna keep going down. Over the long run, they're probably gonna go up. You know, here are some you know, great charts that I like to use as an example. Like if we look at the market over the long run, it just goes up, but it's not just the market. If you look at a McDonald's cheeseburger from 1955 to today, has it had periods of time where the price has gone down? It has, but over the whole time, it's gone from being you know, about a quarter to a buck 60. It goes up, same with cornflakes, same with a Hershey's bar. And that separates the myth from reality. The market is just these products, the earnings associated with these products reflected in stock prices. So you cannot have a Hershey's bar go up and a can of Coke go up and a meal at McDonald's go up without there being inflation. And inflation is part of the market return. And, and help people understand, I know um, Schwab did a study also, I grabbed it here to remind myself the details. They said that, you know, if in 1993 you invested $2,000 and you did it on perfect timing, you made $87,000, I'll put it up on the screen here afterwards here. If you invested just the minute you had any money, you made $81,000 in that money. If you did dollar cost averaging, right, you know, putting the same amount in every month, you made 79,000. 
If you were the worst timing, if you got in at the peak and the market crashed the next day, you made 72,000. So 72 versus 87, it's so minor over that 20 years of investing. And if you stayed in cash, of course, it was the worst. You made $50,000, right? $51,000. So it's really important, I think, for people to understand that this is driven not only by prices, but what's the, what's the role of immigration? What's the role of population growth? What's the role of technology in making the market continue to grow? Because a lot of people right now think, oh, my God, the market's going to shrink, and it might in the short term. You and I both know it absolutely could. But why over the long term can we count on that besides just prices growing so people have more of a larger understanding of the dynamics? Yeah, this is much, much more important than just understanding that the market goes up over time simply because of prices. It's not just that, it's, it's what era are we living in? And, and objectively speaking, we are living in the best era ever to be a human. I think that's not even debatable, but definitely as an investor. And if you look at what drives investing, uh, you need to have people to buy stuff. So part of it's demographics. And the other part is we need innovation and technology. So when we, when we sit in high school, my son sits in high school classes today and my daughter sit in, in those classes, they're gonna learn about the industrial revolution and they're gonna learn about the technology and they're gonna learn about you know, invention of fire and all those things and the wheel. But thousands of years from now, okay, if we haven't messed up the earth by then, thousands of years from now, they're gonna be studying this period right now and the rapid speed of technological in innovation that's impacting everything from the way we communicate to the way that we grow, to the way that we print, to medical care and everything else. Technology and innovation isn't just happening, which is a prerequisite for economic expansion. It's happening at a faster rate today than it ever has in all of history. And what it's doing is it's allowing us to compress time to be more productive, like instead of delivering a letter on a, on a horse uh, or even a, a fa overnight mail or a fax or an email, you know, it can be texted. And we no longer have to use you know, tablets and, and print you know, you get something instantly online, you get the answer to everything in a library and Wikipedia if you want to or in a book. Everything is moving faster and at the same time it's costing less. Okay, so we're not only getting more advanced technology like a phone that now replaces everything, but the phone is more accessible to everybody. In the United States, the average person living in poverty has a phone. I mean, a phone has more technological power than we used with Apollo 13, right? In just that phone, and it replaces about a hundred things from an alarm clock to an atlas to just everything. But the idea is it's become more accessible, it's become more affordable, it expands knowledge, it drives innovation, and we have these demographics. We have over a billion people coming out of poverty in the next 10 years all over the world. And what are they gonna do? They're gonna do what everybody coming out of poverty does. They're gonna buy stuff. So you put these forces together on top of normal market forces that have found a way to propel markets forward no matter what's happening regardless, and you've got a great time to be alive and a great time to be an investor. And you know, there's so much discussion about the wealth gap and it is a, a true wealth gap. But I've been reading some of the studies that show in those wealth gap, they don't show other assets that are owned. It's kind of interesting. But more importantly, people get more from their money today. I mean, you know, I remember growing up and being in a position where if you wanted to steal music, you had to go to a store and you had to really risk something, right? You couldn't go online and go click, click, click and just take what you want. But sincerely, today people have privileges, opportunities who never could have afforded in a million years and we take it for granted. Do you have some examples you could share? Because I want people to understand the quality of life. Even though the pandemic has hit everybody to their knees to some extent in the short term, the quality of life seems to keep improving, whether we go through a world war or whether we go through swine flu or whether we go to World War II or we go through you know, a great economic reckoning, we seem to keep moving forward 
and the quality of life seems to be improving, including for those that are most impoverished around the world. Oh, there, there's, there's absolutely no question. Um, so if you look at, for example, what we used to be able to spend on what we want to spend, we spent spent 43% of our money uh, over 100 years ago was on food, 23% just to get some kind of shelter with no heating or plumbing or electricity or anything like that, and 14% to just buy a couple pieces of clothes. And that left us 20% to do other things. Today, we only spend a third of our money uh, on a home, 13% on food, 3% on clothes, and over half our money, the average person, over half their money, they're doing what they want to do with it. It's totally, completely discretionary. So the money goes a lot further today. It buys a lot better things than it used to. I mean, it used to be no one had a radio, and today everyone has a cell phone. No one had a TV, and most people have uh, flat screen TVs. Let's just take a look at the average American home in 1950 to today. 1950, 983 square feet, uh, with 55% of Americans having home ownership. Today, it's, 20, it's 2,349 square feet with 80% of Americans owning a home. 10% of people had televisions back then. Today, 95% of people have tele televisions back then. Uh, back then, average earnings was 11,000. Today, adjusted for inflation, it's 44,000. Okay, we're making four times as much. Qual listen to this, quality of life back then, 68 year life expectancy, 50% uh, of seniors living in poverty, 75% of African-Americans living in poverty, zero years was the average years in retirement. Today, life expectancy, 78 years, 9% of seniors living in poverty, 27% of African-Americans living in poverty, average retirement is 12 years. Anybody that says they wanna go live in the good old days is, has their head in the sand and is just absolutely having to go out of their way to construct a narrative where somehow that is better. And remember, the market was going up through all of that. So if you look at where we are today with better quality of life, from life expectancy to years in retirement to technology to heating, plumbing, cooling, medical care, and everything else, and you look at the, all these people coming out of poverty all over the world and the advancements of technology, you have a recipe for long-term success. So you shouldn't just be able to look at every bear market in history and say, hey, they've been overcome with a new bull market. You should say it's even more likely they're gonna be overcome because we're living in a much better time today than we used to. But we have higher expectations, so sometimes we don't appreciate as much as what we have. And we talk about that in the book also because it's one thing to get more money, but somebody got more money or have plenty of money and they're still unhappy. And we'll address that with you in the book as well. We'll leave that for the book. But I, I view two things. One is um, the wealth gap, though, is real. And there are many people still suffering, way more than we want to, obviously. There's been gigantic progress in humanity in that area. But, uh, you know, if you look at people today living in poverty, you know, you and I, we're donating, by the way, 100% of this book is being donated Feeding America. Uh, we've done that. I've done that with all my books, my most last 10 years of books anyway, and we did the Together Unshakable. Uh, I'm proud to tell you, by the way, we're going to hit 700,000 meals this year. I set a goal 10 years ago to feed a billion meals to people in America, and we're going to hit 700,000. So we obviously care about that, want to deliver that. But what's missing so often, and you hear kids today, for example, talk about there's no opportunity, or hear people talk about socialism who've never seen it. You know, I worked down in Venezuela. I'm very familiar with that. I went to the USSR when it was still the Soviet Union. Uh, I know what that really looks like. It made me a capitalist. But we don't teach people to be capitalists today. We don't teach them to invest. And so, you know, no one thinks in terms of how to add value. No one has that financial literacy. I shouldn't say no one, a small percentage. That's why 60% uh, of Americans can't afford, they don't have $1,000 saved for their retirement, even though the opportunity is so huge. And I read a statistic the other day, 40% of Americans couldn't handle a $500 emergency. This was before COVID. 
So I'm not, I don't want to downplay the challenges. I just want to say that if we can teach people how to find the way to take a small portion of it, you have a little you have and invest that the power of compounding. Can you touch on that? Cause most people I think believe I got to make, you know, $10 million a year and then I'll be financially free. And you and I both know we both coach people that some of the greatest athletes, some of the most amazing entertainers, actors who made fortunes and then literally we end up going bankrupt. Some of the most famous names in the world have done that. So yeah. what, what can you get across to people so that not only do they want to learn this themselves, but perhaps share it with their friends or their family or their children? Well, I think that the, the powerful thing about investing is you just absolutely have to start as soon as possible. Whether you're 72 or you're 22, time is your very best friend. Even if you only get a rate of return of around 7%, every dollar you invest is going to double in 10 years. So if you're, if you're 30 and you get to double from $1 to, to 2 to 4 to 8 to 16, you can see how that really, really adds up. And so you really want to get the benefit of compounding on your side. Warren Buffett called compounding, or not Warren Buffett, Albert Einstein called compounding uh, one of the great wonders of the world. And I think that, that the key there is start early and use an automatic system to really get that on your side and get into a diversified portfolio where you don't get caught up in the day-to-day -day of what's happening with any specific stock or any sector. We talk a lot about this in the path, about really figure out what you're trying to do and how much time you have to do it. And then we can back into what you're going to have to invest in and how aggressively you're going to have to save to make that happen. Well, uh, you know, I always give an example for people for their kids. You know, if you uh, take an example and you take this kid, Joe, I'll throw it up on the screen for you here. But Joe puts away $300 a month. His parent says, look, you're living at home. <laughs> you, know, you can afford to do this. We want to get the right discipline in you. And he puts $300 a month and he continues to do that till he's 27 years old. So he basically does it for eight years. And then he stops for the rest of his life. And he's putting a total of $28,800 over that period of time, just 300 bucks a month, that's what it is. And then his best friend sees what he's doing. And when he quits at 27, his best friend Bob decides he's gonna start investing. He puts on $300 a month aside. Same thing in a tax-free you know, environment, tax-deferred environment rather. Gets an average, if it's 100 years, it'd be a 10% return. Which one, he invests 140,000 over almost 40 years, 38 years. You know, the first gentleman, Joe, is investing you know, 28,800 over eight years, that's it. But who has more money at the end? As you can see, Joe's got 1.86 million from eight years, 300 bucks a month. That's it for his whole life. Yeah. And Bob over here's got 1.5 million and he did it 38 years. So boy, anyone can get wealthy if they can start with just even the smallest amount. And for the people watching, you know, there's been great studies where people say, I can't save. And what happens is they they took a group of people in middle America working blue collar workers and they said, we're going to take 3% of your pay out. You will never notice it. We're going to do it. And they did it. And then they said, every time you get a raise, we want you to put another 3% in. Within 12 years, they were putting aside on average a 17% and becoming absolutely financially secure and independent. So it's really changing your psychology. And that's a part of what we talk about, obviously, in this book as well. Tell me... Why is it so important to be absolutely clear about what it is you really want? And what are your four fundamental rules on really how to achieve financial freedom? Because I know that we both believe that complexity is the enemy of execution. Like, keep it simple. So tell us, you know, why is it so important to be so clear about what you want? What are those four rules for you? I mean, if you think about an athlete that's going to go to compete, they don't just start working out. They know what they're going to compete in. They know where the starting line is. They know what the finish line is. They know what they have to do to win. And you really have to look at wealth management that way. So you start by having a plan. What am I actually trying to accomplish? And then you build a portfolio 
And you might have several portfolios. One might be to accomplish educational goals, one for retirement goals, one for charitable goals. But we want those to match up with the timeline. We want to get on the savings plan to get there. We want the right investments to get there. And then we've got to revisit the plan. Occasionally test yourself, run, swim the laps, run the, run the track. Are you on track for the goal or not? Are we going to have to do something different to make the goal work? You might have a year where the market does really great and you can change your investments because you're ahead of track for the goal and, and vice versa. And then ultimately, the ultimate rule is just don't mess it up. You know, Unshakable was all about don't messing, don't mess it up, don't screw up, don't make a behavioral mistake. And the path is all about constructing the overall plan to help get you there. And that's what everybody needs today, especially in this environment, a plan that'll get you out of fear, a plan that'll move you forward. Tell me, uh, you know, part of helping people to get beyond that fear is to understand patterns. Like, you know, pattern recognition is power. If someone is great at anything, they have great pattern recognition. And so pattern recognition allows you to anticipate what's going to happen because you see where it's going. So in the markets, there's some really clear patterns that people get freaked out about that are actually predictable. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between, you know, a true bear market versus, you know, just a correction? what that means and how often they occur so that people might have a different mindset when they see everybody being afraid? So if you think about these corrections in bear markets, those are, those are things that people think are predictable and we, we know that they're not predictable. We write a little bit about that in the path, but we know that these corrections, the corrections just a 10% drop or more, they happen every year on average. If you have a, predictable. Yeah, that, yeah, what's predictable is it's gonna happen. So don't freak out when it happens. And you know the the average correction doesn't doesn't market doesn't go down 10% and then turn around and go go up it usually goes down 13 14 plus percent um, and sometimes it goes on to be a bear market which is drop or 20% or more and most of the time it doesn't so this drop of 13 to 14% that is what is predictable so you want to take advantage of that now it doesn't sound like a big deal people are like oh who cares well i mean that's thousands of points of a drop in the market. I mean, and every time the market drops thousands of points, the financial media is gonna get in your face and freak you out. You're gonna go, oh my God, what's happening? And people tend to panic and convert because it's the elections or it's COVID or it's the Greek debt crisis or it's Brexit or whatever it is. There's a nice narrative always to go with it. But what's predictable is that the correction is gonna happen. So you wanna take advantage of it by accelerating savings or shifting from a more conservative to more aggressive allocation. Occasionally you get the ultimate gift and that's a bear market. And a bear market's a drop of 20% or more. And that happens on average every five years. And what a bear market does is it gives you a long time to accumulate shares in a down market. If you're buying, you want the market to take a long time at the bottom before it goes up. If you're retired, you should have enough in bonds to meet your needs. The bear market shouldn't phase you anyway. No one should be phased by a bear market. Anyone in the accumulation phase should be thrilled that they can be buying more, buying more shares uh, while the market's down. And so if you just understand how predictable these are, how often these happen, it gives you the strength and the resolve to do the investing you need to do to get you on the, on the right path to hit your goals. And I think it's important for people to remember that these happen on average every year for the last 100 years, on average, not every year, but almost every year. And the average drawdown is 14%. So when someone sees that, they start thinking it's the end times. The media is always promoting it. Because listen, the media is not bad people. They just, they have a job and their job is to get you to watch and they know something. It's no longer an information society, right? We're drowning information, we're starving for wisdom. So what do they do? Fear sells, baby. So their job is startle you. And so if you allow yourself to get startled, that's where you're gonna lose. But you know, as you said, and to point out to everybody, 80% of the time, those corrections 
do not turn into a you know bear market. But when they do, that's when everything goes on sale, and that's when you got to manage your fear because it is the greatest opportunity in your life for wealth building. So off of that, tell us why is now. You've already kind of said it, but you know, there's a chapter in the book that I love so much where really talking about why the world is better than you think. Why is now the time to invest? Why is now one of the best times to invest so that people get a sense? Because I think most people have the very opposite view. Most people are frozen with uncertainty. I'm trying to figure out how to survive, not invest. Well, I think the, the big part of it is, you know, you talked a little bit about the wealth gap, but it's true there's a bigger wealth gap than there's ever been, but there's more people emerging from poverty into the middle class than ever before. So really a lot of what drives the markets is you have this big move. The biggest move between classes is the lower class, the working class into the middle class. It's been unbelievable. I wish uh, we would hear and read more about it. But what you're seeing at the very, very top end is not really the top 1%, but the top one one thousandth of 1%. There, The separation between them and everybody else is also greater than it's ever been. And the reason for that, ironically enough, is technology. So 50 years ago, if you had a great athlete, well, they were a great athlete. Well, today they can leverage themselves all over the world, their brand all over the world. Michael Jordan could never do what LeBron James is doing. It just didn't exist. He was at the beginning of the cusp of that. And you go back to Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth had no chance compared to Michael Jordan. So the ability to monetize, because you can get you can get an instant audience all over the world and you can do things so much quicker is so much greater. And that's what's created the wealth gap. If Jeff Bezos has a great idea or Mark Zuckerberg has an idea, uh, or Jack Dorsey has an idea, it's no longer gonna be, I'm gonna start in my backyard and 100 years later, my grandkids might have a brand all over the world. If you've got a great idea, people are gonna discover it, it's gonna rock it, and a lot of that wealth goes to you. And that's created a lot of, I think, the, the, the hostility between classes. But this idea that there's let more people in, in poverty than ever and less people in the middle class, class than ever is absolutely not true. We have a, more people moving from poverty to the middle class than ever before, and from the middle class to the upper middle class than ever before. But it is also true that that one outlier has really become a very big outlier. But what's important about that is that middle class is what makes everything work. So in the middle class, that's where we've got the engineers, the doctors, the lawyers, the small business owners, all of these folks. My people, Peter, my people. <laughs> they are your people. And, and the, this is the backbone of the country is people going to work every day, whether they're doing drywall or running a restaurant or seeing patients. Uh, that's what we need. And we have more of that group than ever before. And you combine that group with all the innovation and technology and the advancements that we see in the future, that's what makes it a great time to be alive and a great time to be an investor. If you ask a, a doctor uh, who's, who's uh, a neurologist or a cardiologist, they'll tell you that they've learned more about the brain and the heart in medicine in the last 20 years than the past 10,000 years combined. That's the era we're blessed to live in today. And that's what's propelling the economy forward is all of these advancements and innovations, they cause this turmoil in the market that scare investors because companies come and go quicker than ever. Uh, restaurant used to open, it might stay open for years and years if it was just okay. Today, if it's just okay, it's gonna be gone in a few months, but we're not running out of restaurants. And so we're living in just this amazing, amazing time. And it reflects itself in, in uh, the economy and in the markets. And for someone with discipline, They've got a, they can do a lot of great things. A lot of people think that money is just about accumulating more money and whoever has the most wins, uh, or maybe even it's just a simple goal of being retired. And I know you talk all the time about how money's just an ends to a mean, and I know you write about this in the book. So Tony, if you could share with us, you know, how you see money fulfilling needs. Oh, a little reversal on me here in the interview. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Well, I think it's really important, especially, you know, I think COVID has brought it up even more. You know, you see so many people suffering and the suffering certainly comes from not having certain resources that weren't planned for, but the suffering also comes because we haven't learned to manage our own fears, our own emotions. I mean, you know, I know the Soviet Union in the 60s uh, did a bunch of studies on how much they could embed fear into people until they would just comply. And it literally took less than two months where when people then were revealed the truth, it wouldn't change their mind. And I think it's so critical to understand that wealth is mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual, and it's financial. It's also health, it's physical. And so if you don't have abundance in all levels and all you have is a lot of money, I know a lot of people a lot of money, they're very poor. I know a lot of people have very little money, but they're very wealthy in the quality of their life. I really believe that the you know, extraordinary quality of life is what we're all after. You know, it's people come to me and they'll say, you know, I want to grow my business, you know, 200% or, you know, I want to lose 30 pounds or I want to turn my relationship around or can you please do something with my kid or whatever. But all these things have in common is what we're really after when after money is a better quality of life. We want to have more autonomy, more freedom, more choices. And it's not even that you don't work because you and I both are in a position where we don't have to work another day of our lives and we both have friends that have sold their businesses for you know plenty of money, hundreds of millions we have and some people billions, some of our friends. And then you see them happy for about three months on average. I've seen this happen so many times because it's not so you have enough money you don't work, it's you have enough money you don't have to work so you do what you love because you want to do it. Then you walk different, you talk different. But it doesn't start with the money, it starts with the psychology. And I, what I try to get across to people is the quality of your life is the quality of your emotions, like where you live emotionally. We all have an emotional home. So think of it like, you know, we all know people that are pissed off all the time. doesn't matter what's happening. They find something to be pissed off about. We all know people that worry all the time. There's nothing to worry about in their own life, their own kids. They worry about the universe, right? You know, someday the sun's going to explode and it's going to be gone, you know? And so worries worry, worriers worry, I should say, right? Angry people get angry. I'm, I'm, we all know some people that, you know, think they're funny, <laughs> but they're not really, but they crack themselves up and you find yourself laughing too. So human emotion, you could have a billion dollars. And if every day you live in the emotion of pissed off or frustrated, or overwhelmed, then your life is pissed off, frustrated, overwhelmed, doesn't matter how much money you have. So part of what we share in this book are some of the tools that can have you really have one of the greatest qualities of life ever right now. It's like, you know, you can't wait to get beyond, you know, fear. You can't wait to get beyond, you know, living in scarcity. You got to start beyond it. And so decisions are what my life's about. I help people make decisions. And you do that as well. You do it on the financial side. And we, that's one of the reasons we got together in the first place. Because it's your decisions, much more than your conditions, that are going to determine the quality of your life. It's not, oh my God, COVID's happened. It's, oh my God, the market's gone up or down. It's what you decide to do. The market has never taken money from anybody. You know that and I do. It's our decisions that have done that, our fearful decisions. So if you want an extraordinary quality of life right now while you're building the financial side of wealth and you want the other side of wealth now, you have to learn to discipline your mind. You have to learn to discipline your disappointment because life is filled with disappointments. Disappointment either destroys you or it drives you, right? And so what this book is really about is getting you a path. And when we say a path, we literally mean a plan, a path that'll get you from where you are to where you want to be. And what's in the way of that path it's a lack of education, so we're giving it to you, the tools, the strategies, the ability to know exactly what to do, designed for you. But also, it's really about being in a position where you have a path for quality of life. And so, I think there's two skills everybody has to master. Skill, if you want an extraordinary life. Skill number one is the skill of being able to really master your ability to achieve. Master your ability, I call it the science of achievement. 
is like the capacity to take where you are right now and say, no matter what's happening, here's how I'm going to get there. Now, it's not going to be a straight line. If you take off from Florida here and you want to fly to Hawaii, it's not a straight line. You're off course a good deal of the time. But instead of the pilot going, oh, my God, we're off course, we're going to die. You know, an experienced pilot, like an experienced investor, goes, hey, I just need to make a little correction, a little correction, a little correction. And they land on a dime. That's what the path is. But in order for that path to work, we got to work your emotions a little bit. And you got to know how to achieve, which the book shows you, but also lots of people achieve. You know, you know, I interviewed more than 50 multi-billionaires, all people who started with nothing. Nobody from the Lucky Sperm Club, they all did it on their own. And they did it in all different ways, whether it's Ray Dalio or Carl Icahn or Warren Buffett or anybody, Paul Tudor Jones. And as I interviewed all these people and I dug underneath it all, what's really interesting is not everybody, no matter how much money they have, is fulfilled. And that is really the ultimate test because success or money without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. I mean, making much money and you're miserable, you don't get along with your kids or you don't have love in your life. And so I think the second master skill is the art of fulfillment. You've got to master what fulfills you and that's different for everybody. It's like you go to, to the forest and you see everything's different. So if you want to know what the universe or God or whatever your belief structure is, whatever made all this certainly loves diversity. And so your ability to find that fulfillment today, not someday when you have a certain amount of money, because it's like when I tell people about giving, you know, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, easy for you, you give, you're wealthy. And no, if you won't give a dime out of a dollar, you're sure as hell not going to give, you know, $25 million like you and I are doing this year or anything of that nature to people. You're not going to take that and do that. But if you learn to give, if you learn to operate in a way that's more fulfilling, if you learn that it's not just about getting, it's about growing, becoming and giving, then it's unbelievable. And the research today is it's not some psychobabble or some positive thinking I'm sharing with you. Now, scientists can actually, by the saliva that you inject, they can figure out which hormones are triggered by activity. You going and buying coffee for three people in line behind you at Starbucks will give you an emotional level of fulfillment more than almost any other thing where you spent a lot more money because you did something that was completely outside yourself. You did something that was pure. It wasn't for stars on your chart. You just did something because it felt right. And research shows that you're going to be fulfilled by getting to a certain extent, but things don't give you long-term fulfillment. Experiences. That's why taking your family on a trip or going something or learning some new experience, that's why those are so fulfilling. They give us lasting joy because they make us grow and we get to share. But also, what also does it for us is just pure giving. And giving is one of the greatest gifts in the world. So finding what will fulfill you. The last thing I'll say is, because I'm dumping it all in really fast since you asked me the question, I go, oh, I'm happy to share, <laughs> is that you really got to understand that it's all here and here. Like the quality of your life is what you do inside your head and your heart. And decisions, the, I think the most important decision I learned in my life was this decision to, to live in a beautiful state no matter what. Not some phony, fake, positive thinking, rah-rah BS. But what I mean by that is to find the good in whatever's happened. That's what will make you a great investor. That's what will make you, more importantly, a great husband, a great wife, a great parent, a great friend, a great leader in a business. Because any idiot, people sometimes say to me, well, I'm skeptical, you know, I'm pessimistic. And I go, let's be honest, you're gutless. I'm not, I'm not being harsh, but it doesn't take any guts to go, nothing's going to work, it'll never happen, oh, give up. Any idiot can do that. It takes courage. It takes faith to try something and maybe fail and pick yourself up and learn something from it and fail again and fail again to get to where you want to go. But that's what everyone who succeeds does. So if there's one decision that we'll talk about in the book with you, if you pick it up, 
is this, this idea of making the decision that you're going to live life in a different way and that you give yourself 90 seconds to get out of that lousy state. And if you start with that kind of standard for yourself, you'll discover something interesting. You'll come up with answers a lot faster in a beautiful state than in a pissed off one, than in a crying one, than a sad one, than a depressed one. And what we show you in the book and part of my expertise is showing somebody how to do that in seconds that's real by learning how to use your body in a certain way to change your biochemistry. And stuff I've been teaching now for gosh, 43 years, my 43rd year doing this. Uh, you know, four years ago, Harvard did a study on what they called power postures and showed you can literally change your biochemistry in two minutes, not by making more money, by standing a certain way, breathing a certain way with your shoulders in two minutes, you'll see an increase of testosterone by 20%. Cortisol, which creates stress, will drop by more than 20%, and your risk tolerance will increase by 33%, meaning you're willing to move forward. So the book is really designed to give you the path but also the psychological, emotional path that'll make sure you're fulfilled as well. And I think that's equally important because it's too many people I've known. I've, I've watched, um, not naming names, obviously, I have a lot of very wealthy friends. I started with absolutely nothing myself. And I'm grateful I started with nothing because it really makes me appreciate everything in my life. And I get more joy out of it. And I've had friends that they're sitting there fighting with their wife or their children because they spent $1,000 and they're a billionaire. And so that's not a way, that to me isn't wealth. And so this book is really about also, how do you enjoy it all? You go, Tony, show me how to make it. I'll, I'll figure out how to enjoy it. I'm sure you will. But you might find some tips here helpful as well. Let me come back to you now. Tell me, what, uh, what, 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 is there anything we've not covered that you really want people to know? What, what's most important for us to leave people with so they go, wow, this, this, there is a way to move forward. I mean, I've loved you've given us some stats and some ideas about how life is better today in spite of what, People are, you know, constantly embedding in their psychology because of media. Um, but what, what do you want people to leave with? And what do you people want to leave this book with? What, what's the promise for them that can really change their life? You know, what I'm so excited about this is we both on our own and together have written books just about money, just about money. And this time we really got into a lot of the things you just spoke about, which is what's your purpose? What's your vision? What are your goals? What's going to fulfill you? Let's talk about it now. Let's not move the goalposts all the time. Let's figure it out now and let's come up with a real plan, not just how we're gonna invest, but everything in life so that we don't, there are a thousand things that can derail us from someone not having a healthcare or power of attorney to make a healthcare decision for somebody. I had a client whose daughter got in a car accident coming home from college and the mom couldn't make the decision for her daughter because she was an adult, she was 19 and the state wouldn't let the mom make the decisions. Think about that simple document, how it changed uh, things for that family. Um, so I cover the details like that, and we cut together, we cover a lot of the big picture and the vision. So what I love about this is obviously, you know, creative planning, we manage over 50 billion, that's a big part of what we do. But the reason we're here is because we help people crystallize their goals, and we make sure they don't get derailed from legal or tax or insurance things that seem like they don't matter, but they matter a lot. You really have to have the loose ends tied up and have a vision and then everything else falls into place. And so of all the books that I've done uh, with you or on my own, this is the one I'm the most proud of because it really covers everything that, uh, that someone would need to really get where they wanna go. I love the, the detail that you've gone into in this book specifically on helping them figure out which investments precisely and also just risk management because that's life. You know, how to manage risk and you're just touching base on that there's some little things that if you just don't know, ignorance is not bliss, ignorance is pain, ignorance is poverty. 
And when you have that power, when you have that understanding and it's so simple, it's so easy to act on. First of all, I want to thank you again. And again, it's the path, accelerating your journey to financial freedom. And it'll be something I promise you'll be loving. We'll look forward to hearing from you online and what you think of the book and how you've learned to change your life. Peter, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate seeing you again and you sharing your wisdom with our audience. Thank you so much, Tony. Thanks for all you do. Thanks, brother. Blessings.